Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. All right, all in on the Vikings conversation. Matthew Collar and Courtney Crone in for Mackie and Judd today. We're having uh, great calls, great questions, comments from you. 651-646-8255, breaking down what happened and what is going to happen. And we've both mixed some meltdowns uh, in between. We'll go to Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus in just a second. But first, Bob in Pennsylvania. What's up, Bob? What's up? How's it going? It's not going well. I was at the game yesterday, and I want to bring up a point that Courtney talked about earlier in the show. And by the way, Courtney, I, I love your fresh perspective on on this point, and it's very important about the value of a team, of one team member disrupting the value of team play. This is not a single tennis match. This is a football team. And like you said, when you looked at the Bears on the sideline in that earlier game that they played, Mm -hmm. they were a solid team that had coherence. It's carried them through the season. When I was at that game yesterday, the Vikings were down 7-0. I'm sitting uh, in Section 105, Row 4. There was a commercial break. The Vikings were in a huddle. They were on their own, like, 20-yard line, down 7 nothing. Everybody was in the huddle except Kirk Cousins. He was pacing from one side of the huddle about five times with his head down. Everybody else was together. I mean, you would think the guy would, you know, at least be in the huddle looking at somebody. He didn't look at anybody. Commercial break was over. He got back on the huddle, and they called the play. I mean, just something like that. The body language mm-hmm. just shows you how they are not a team. And I'm telling you what, when Case Keenum was in that huddle and in a situation like that down 7 nothing, he added the value that you brought up. Yeah. The team value, the fact that those players wanted to make a play for him. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want to make a play with Cousins. I really don't at times. You know, what's really interesting, thanks uh, for the call, good by call, the way. Good call. Appreciate it. Um, it's just, we've been seeing this since minicamp. It's really, it's really wild because in minicamp, we all looked at each other funny when he kind of called out Nick Easton for some bad snaps. And like Easton was just filling in at center, man, and, and like in a press conference. And then he said that Thielen was having a pity party, pity party after they had a bad room. day. Yeah. yeah. It was just like little things like this. You just wonder if, 
you know, relating to people and leadership is always talked about as such a huge part of the quarterback position. And I'm all for the the kind of hard line of facts and looking at these things. But I, I think that I think in this case we see it on display how real that is. Um Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus now joins us. You continue to call in. We'll take your calls. We'll make sure we get you in. Uh, but I want to bring in Eric because he and I did a podcast way back in, I think, May, in which he got hammered on Twitter for predicting eight wins for the Minnesota Vikings. So, Eric, you nailed it. Eight wins. Explain to me what you saw then and how that matched up to what happened with this team this year. First off, you know, I think it's awesome when you guys fill in for Judd while he's watching the Red Box Bowl, <laughs> uh, especially especially on a Monday where the Vikings, I think, regret buying the DVD. Oh, uh, oh. Um, so boom, yeah, good so, one. When um, you know, we we talked about this, and and it's not just sort of the data that you know goes into this, where I could tell you some of the markers where Kirk put up great Kirk's at a, a career high in completion percentage and touchdowns this year. It's not necessarily the statistics all that much, but it's, you know, talking, you know, to folks, you know, like you guys and, you know, getting, getting sort of like an understanding, the person who just called talking about his demeanor in the huddle, listening to his press conferences and things like that. And then the expectations that folks had for the Vikings, I just thought were simply like unwarranted, right? So there's 13 and three, you know, Kirk is, I think, clearly a better quarterback than Case Keenum, as we saw. But, you know, they were expecting Kirk to play as well as Keenum did in the best possible universe for him and and gel with the teammates, as this, you know, as you guys have talked about. And, you know, in this time at Washington, what needed to happen, and I think we're seeing even more so with Sean McVay, how well he's done it with the Rams, he needed a perfect situation with great support, with a brilliant play caller, and none of those things were, you know, assured to Minnesota with, you know, obviously the offensive line issues. Their offensive line coach passes away before training camp, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then the play caller, we sort of had an unknown, and John Filippo, the only time he was ever an offensive coordinator, didn't last, you know, do well for him. So uh, just a lot of uncertainty, and when that happens, I sort of like to regress teams to that 8-8 eight eight mark. I think that's totally fair, and I remember that we had this conversation right before training camp where – you know, I th- I tend to think it was the outside perception. First off, $84 million, people see do- dollar signs like that. They automatically assume success comes with, you know, paying someone that much. The national narrative, the people who are not here on the ground every single day, the, the national, you know, my company does it, you know, uh, NFL Network, the whole thing. I mean, the, the narrative was perpetuated that, oh, this all looks great on paper. Well, good to go. So the thing I don't understand here, so the expectations were that the Vikings, I assume, we all assume they did their homework. I mean, they had a very like long process of trying to find their future franchise quarterback, the guy for their quarterback stability that they haven't had since Dante Culpepper. What did they see, Eric, that they thought could they could rise above? I mean, Cousins was a 500 quarterback. In Washington, he had one playoff win. He had padded stats because his team sucked in a lot of circumstances, and he was forced to throw the ball a lot from behind. What did they see that they thought, hey, we can change that here. We can make him a better quarterback than he's ever been at any point, and it's going to benefit us in the long run. Yeah, I think what they did is they overvalued something that you know is inherent in a lot of quarterbacks that – if I were to tell you here, this is going to be the Vikings quarterback moving forward, I think you would recoil a little bit, and that's longevity. 
right? When you have a Aaron Rodgers and you have a Tom Brady, uh, hopefully you're with Mahomes and Watson and those guys. When you have a quarterback for a long time who's brilliant, it's great. When you're saddled with a Matthew Stafford, who I think is a very good comp for, for Kirk Cousins, when you're saddled with a Joe Flacco, as you guys said, Andy Dalton, like they can put up respectable numbers as Kirk has. But, you know, what you end up getting is, and I think you're seeing a lot of this on Vikings Twitter, and I think you're seeing a lot of this with, you know, with kind of like the discussions of Zimmer. What you get now is a, you know, oh my gosh, we're stuck with this guy for at least two more years. And sort of the, 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 the difficulty that's associated with that. Every single other Viking quarterback that's been around either had potential as Bridgewater did or was easily replaceable as the guys like Ponder and Castle and those folks. So, what, what I think is that I think the Vikings thought, like, let's just stabilize this quarterback position and then everything else will fall into play. And as we've talked about on you know, previous shows, you, the Vikings defense was great this year, but they had you know, injuries, right? They, they didn't come up big in some of their bigger games, for example, against the Rams uh, and so on and so forth, against the Bears even, uh, you know, yesterday. And so, like, you can't just fix the quarterback position at average and then expect everything else to be brilliant, you know, the receivers as well. We saw them tail off at the end of the season. It, it just doesn't work that way. You need to have, to be a championship-caliber team, you need to have a quarterback sort of in that upper third, and then you need those sort of other things to kind of be random and great the way that Keenum was last season. So I think the biggest question, Eric, uh, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus joining Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin of ESPN here in for Mackey and Judd. I think the biggest question that every fan has here. Because there is, in the NFL, with the fans, there is no just, like, tuning it out. I think with a baseball team, if it's bad, that you just sort of like, oh, yeah, they're on, I'll watch a little. But the, but football takes over your whole Sunday. So fans watch every game, whether you're a 3-13 and team or whether you're a 13-3 and team. And so they're going to watch these next two years of Kirk Cousins. There's no just tuning it out. So the big question is, how do you get every possible ounce of blood out of the stone of Kirk Cousins, and that starts on the offensive line. But my question for you, Eric, is how much better does the line have to be or the supporting cast have to be in order for them to be a contender in a league that now has a lot of really good quarterbacks? Yeah, and I think some of it is is moot, right? So, for example, so we at PFF, we grade plays, and, and oftentimes we'll give a positive grade to a throw. You know, think about the touchdown to Kyle Rudolph on opening day. We obviously give negative throws. We give like zero graded throws. Like if you were to throw a swing pass that wasn't like as bad as the one against Philly, we would give that a zero. And Cousins, among you know, in terms of throws that are positively graded, he had the same rate as Alex Smith, the guy who replaced him in Washington, Derek Carr, Blake Bortles, and Matthew Stafford. So in terms of a guy who's just throw for throw making throws that we would consider exemplary, he's simply not doing that. And he was similar to that when he was in Washington. Um, what he does do is he does avoid, like, you know, he, his bads are really bad, but he actually does avoid, um, you know, throws that are negatively graded better than almost anybody in the league. So the issue is that if you give him better protection, we've already seen he's got two wide receivers who are both worth over a win above replacement. Like, if you give him better support, does he have it sort of in him to take more than what the defense is going to give him or take more than what the scheme is going to give him? I think that that's a real big question mark, and I think that that's why people are sort of always like, why are these numbers good, but why isn't the offense, as you guys pointed out, I think, earlier in the show, why isn't this offense scoring points per drive at a rate that, like, you know, rivals even, like, the Cardinals and those types of teams? So 
you know, for me, I just think Kirk has to, and I don't know if you can, you know, grow in this rate in this way, but Kirk just needs to be able to deliver more exemplary plays on a play for play basis. So how does he do that? I mean, the, we, we, that's what I was thinking. It's like, like, well, just uh, be a heck of a lot better, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, talk, I guess. so he talks about year two. He's like, well, year one was great. You know, uh, not the way we turned out, but it's it's year one, and he's going on saying, "Hey, if I had one more mini camp, if I had one more OTAs, I think of how much better we're going to be. How much better can he be?" That's that's something I asked Mike Zimmer. And I didn't really get an answer to it last week. When you bring a guy in like that, when you have the three year sample size in Washington, where he was mediocre, average at best, but you know teams are so quarterback nuts in this league that they see an ounce of you know a winning record that could be nine and seven, like oh well. That's probably what we need to to be able to take ourselves to the next level. You know, did they really, A, did they really expect Kirk Cousins to be any different? How could they possibly have expected him to be that different getting here? And also, how different can he be? Year two, how different is this going to look than year one? Well, I think that the key is, is, you know, when you look at a player like Jared Goff, for example, I think Jared Goff's underlying fundamentals are very similar to Case or to uh, uh, Freudian there, to to, uh, Kirk Cousins. Um, But you know, ultimately, when you have when you scheme so many things open, right? You 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 can you can get exemplary play. You can get the, these opportunities for positively graded plays. I think more than if you just have sort of a run of the mill coordinator. We saw Goff when other you know when they faced a really brilliant defense in the Bears. You know how how he much he looked like a fish out of water. I think the their Vikings probably aren't going to change Kirk Kirk's like underlying fundamentals at all. But the the thing that they could probably do is get an offensive coordinator who's brilliant. And I just don't know if necessarily if those grow on trees or those are easily identifiable. We saw the Titans try to take the quarterback's coach from uh, the Los Angeles Rams, and he didn't do a terribly good job this year. So, you know, it's difficult. But we have seen Kirk at his best with, with Sean McVay, with Kyle Shanahan, guys like that. And, and that's really what the Vikings need to be looking for. And I don't necessarily know after a season in which they were sort of burned by this, you know, the next up-and-coming offensive coordinator – uh, that they're going to be as reticent to do anything other than play it safe. Yeah, and there's also the fact that Mike Zimmer openly criticizing his offensive coordinator for seven weeks or so before gassing him probably doesn't speak no. to uh, any any up-and-coming OC thinking, that's the place I want to be with the quarterback who doesn't make big-time throws and with the coach who will throw me under the bus for not running enough. I mean, that's you know it, it brings me to the, the next point. Uh, Eric is with Mike Zimmer that there are a growing number of people who have gotten tired of this from Mike Zimmer. And I wonder if there's a way that we can statistically categorize where he would rank under the coaches, because I think from the other stuff, from the sort of intangible stuff that he gets a minus grade on handling people in 2016, especially and throughout this year as well, the personalities that it hasn't always gone very good. And I think he's probably in the bottom half of the league in that. So what about that other side? I mean, is there a way to say that he is wherever ranked as coach in the NFL? Well, I can tell you some from just play by play defense, He's better than almost everybody. I would say Vic Fangio is probably as good as he is. Um, but And you look, he can flat-out coach. Anthony Harris is an undrafted player. He's one of the most valuable players on the team right now. Mackenzie Alexander was somebody who I think most of us had written off, and he had a terrific year this year. Trey Waynes, Holton Hill, the guy can coach uh, you know, extremely well defensively. And you know, as somebody who's followed the Vikings my entire life, 
the extra step has been there with every coach that's ever set, set foot in that, you know, building. So I, I always wonder, like, is he, is Zimmer the one exacerbating that or is it somebody else? But it certainly does look like when, when things have gone negative for that team, they, they correlate and they grow. Um, when things go positive, though, you know, you said 2017, we never heard a peep. 2015, we never heard a peep. Like, it just seems like, yeah, it just seems like it's difficult for him to sort of control those things. But as far as coaching the, the defense, the Vikings have a lot going for them. Even if you look, you guys are talking about Xavier Rhodes. You know, he did struggle this year and he, he's sort of hurt. Sheldon Richardson, Anthony Barr, guys who are questionable in terms of whether or not they're going to come back. Even you throw all those players away, there's a lot of good players on that defense, and I think a lot of them are sort of homegrown, you know, low draft picks, guys that I think Zimmer can take a ton of credit for cultivating. Now that extra stuff, it just seems like it just seems like it's always something with the Vikings, whether it's you know, like you guys said, it just it just doesn't seem like they can ever sort of like handle success very well or even handle you know adversity at all either. All right, so, so well, yeah, that's what a, so, so okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like, doesn't seem like they can handle success well or adversity. Or, so where does that or, leave uh, them? Any other kind of circumstance? I, well. <laughs> Thirty-two <laughs> year old Vikings fan, I've seen it all, and and and, and I think that that's where it's left me. <laughs> oh man, Fair. I said that on Twitter last night. I was like, man, in three years, I've kind of touched all the bases here of Vikings season, and Vikings Twitter was mad about all the things that they have seen. So don't say thirty-two years old and you've seen it all, Eric. The uh, the old schoolers will come for you. Yeah. So let's let's get off of Kirk Cousins for one second because we've just dedicated the last two hours and seventeen minutes to um, dissecting everything. I mentioned Remmers moving to guard. Um, this defense, <laughs> we talked about that window, and and not Super Bowl window necessarily, but the window they have to be performing at the level that they are right now. And there's cap situations that you have to take into you know effect soon. Who they might be moving on from, guys that they like in the wings, you know, potentially in the secondary, and what happens to Trey Wayne's. Um, there's injuries. I mean, they've been more injured this year on defense than they have in any other season under Mike Zimmer. I mean, there's a reason, big reason why they made the NFC Championship game last year, and they bring you know ten of eleven back. How much longer can this defense be at the level that it's at when you have guys like Xavier Rhodes, Everson Griffin? Uh, Linville Joseph, guys who are, you know, you don't know if Anthony Barr is going to be there, what happens uh, with Sheldon Richardson. There's just so many moving parts that you have to account for. But given what we're seeing with this defense right now, how how much longer can they keep being as vaunted as they are? Yeah, and you, I think, put it perfectly. It's a bunch of moving parts, and that's why injuries affect defenses more than they affect offenses because, you know, you get these cluster injuries and, all of a sudden a cornerback being out causes Harrison Smith to have more responsibilities and, and so on and so forth, where in the offense it's much more tailored to how the quarterback plays. Um, and, you know, I am concerned when I look at, you know, Everson Griffin near the end of his career, where I start Brian Robinson basically retire, uh, Limbaugh Joseph, uh, Harrison Smith is not, was not nearly as dominant as he has been in the past this season. Um, but one thing that does give me faith is just the, the types of players that Zimmer is able to, you know, is able to sort of elevate here. We, you know, Stephen Weatherly being an example, a seventh round pick a few years ago, he was a, a good player for them. Uh, Tom Johnson's a player that seems to always give them value despite his low price tag. Uh, Sheldon Richardson was identified as a free agent. He was great, right? So they, they I think that, I think defense is never going to be a problem with Zimmer. To me, it's always going to be when that defense plays extremely well, 
does that build in expectations? Because we know even the and, and the Vikings were tied for second this year in passing allowed on early downs. They were great, a great defense this year. But there are just games where the Los Angeles Rams, no matter how good your defense is, are going to tear you apart. There are going to be games where you're injured, or there are going to be games where Kirk Cousins puts you in terrible positions all the time and you give up 30 points like they did against New Orleans when you actually played really well. And so, you know, I think that the defense is something that's always going to be there with Minnesota. The issue is that it might just never matter if they don't get the, you know, the offense squared away and, and not only stability there, but, you know, excellence. Eric, thank you for coming on uh, here on uh, New Year's Eve. It speaks to both of our uh, personal lives and how exciting those are. <laughs> and uh, tell people where they can find your podcast. Yeah, so I host uh, the PFF Forecast with my uh, colleague George Shahuri. It's on Podcast One. So after you're done listening to the Purple Podcast uh, and, and all the stuff on 1500, you can go listen to our, uh, our podcast. It's also on iTunes and all that. And you can follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. All right. Thanks, as always, uh, for a great season of Hashtag Analysis, Eric. And uh, look forward to breaking it all down in the off season as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. PFF underscore Eric is where you can find him. Uh, Courtney Cronin, Matthew Collar, in for Mackie and Judd. More of your calls to take when we get back. Short breaks today. And uh, Laquan Treadwell had a quote that reminded me of Steve Harvey. Get to that when we come back. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. All right. Time to check traffic here. And uh, a couple of uh, big events in the metro to tell you about on the roads. First is 35 southbound. Road is closed. Uh, That's because of a crash uh, near Lakeville. And uh, it's causing a 47-minute delay if you're headed uh, towards Lakeville on 35. No! So 47? That's my road 47 home. minutes. So Jonathan yeah. should just uh, get out the cot or sleep on the couch in the other is room? It, yeah. Is it snowing real bad out right now? Uh, come on. I, it's, it's coming down a little bit, but that's yeah, that windows. crash has got... Uh, Can we open yeah, that window up. or is that like not allowed? What that one? Yeah, but like the not like, yeah, like like the shades or is it broken? You can open the shades, yeah. I want to see if it's snowing. <laughs> well, the you know, monitor just, above you shows that. Oh, it looks well, you know like it angry. gets you know it gets dark at like three thirty yeah, in the afternoon can, this yeah, time yeah, of year. No, so, I can I mean, spot it though. There's like lights out there, so we can see. What's it look like? Is it snowing a little? Just a little. Uh, there's some on the ground. I can definitely. See I saw that it was going to be light. really cold. So best of luck to anyone doing anything outside like a crazy person on New Year's Eve. And Happy New Year to all of you listening. Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin, Manny Hill, and Jonathan Harrison are producing. Um, There were a number of insane quotes from Laquan Treadwell today. That's the only way I can characterize them, and we will get to them in a moment. But the folks on hold who have called in have been polite enough to hang on. So, uh, Charles, what's going on? Thanks for waiting. Hi, uh I just had a couple of comments. Uh, I think your problem here, and looking at this is a business, look at the top, and you got a lousy general manager. He's loved by the Wilfs, but you got to get rid of the general manager, otherwise nothing's going to change. A good general manager will manage this team. He'll manage the coach. If he doesn't like the coach, he'll get rid of him too. And there may be some problems with the coach, but you got... Uh, Everybody's talking about uh, the cousins. Well, 
My God, they paid the guy $84 million for three years, and what did the records on Cousins say? He's just an average quarterback. Mm-hmm. If, he, if he had a good line, maybe he was a little above average. But what do the Vikings have? They got a less-than-average offensive line by uh, some people's words. So as far as I'm concerned, folks, you get rid of the general manager, you get a strong general manager in there, and he'll manage that team. And he'll take care of the coaches, and and it's uh, about all I have to say. Well, I appreciate that, Charles. Thank you. And when it comes to that, the offensive line is on the general manager. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is a hundred percent true. And when you're passing out responsibility cards for you are responsible for this many losses or this part of the issue for this year, and why you finished with eight wins. Of course, the quarterback's going to get a lot of those percentage, but the general manager, Rick Spielman, not filling the offensive line with talent with a quarterback who struggles in the pocket is continues to be mind-blowing. And I, I think that anyone... It's a tiresome point because we, lazy we've heard it some so many times. Well, it's 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 well, the way people have brought it up is lazy. Why don't they just fix the offensive line? Uh, yes, like, yes. I mean, they can't do it in season. They've had injuries. They had guys playing out of position. But when you go back to what happened, and even before in free agency, if they knew they wanted to, if they knew they weren't going to fix it, you don't go after Kirk Cousins because. I just don't think you think you're going to bring a guy like that in who has to have everything perfect around him and not think you're going to address the offensive line. We knew Berger was going to retire. That was like the writing's been on the wall since well before 2017. So that's my thing. And, you know, Zimmer Zimmer was happy with the corner pick. Don't you remember week one after the uh, 49ers mm-hmm. game? He's you know standing up there being like, I bet no one's talking about the corner now. That we drafted now, yeah. I mean, Mike Mike Hughes had a good pick six, like, and you know that was it. But I, you know, I do think that Rick Spielman at the end of the day, that's on him. But you've got to factor in how much of a role Zimmer probably played in that too, because by and large, you look at the decisions that were made after Cousins signed in free agency, all defense. The uh, the struggle I have with the offensive line point is that it's it's right, it's clearly right, and I have no real response or argument there's nowhere I can go with it. When someone calls in and says the offensive line was a huge problem and the general manager should have fixed it, I have nothing else to say. Like, that's correct, Mm -hmm. right? And if they don't fix it, they will have zero chance, though the chances with Kirk Cousins after seeing what has happened don't look that high to begin with. But if you're going to have any chance, it has to be fixing the offensive line. The only problem is I don't know what else to say after that. Like, well, I'll get on looking at linemen from Kansas or whatever. I guess there's one from Kansas who's good, according to Mark Craig's Twitter feed yesterday. <laughs> he was tweeting out fans who want this offensive lineman or that offensive lineman. So I just I don't I don't know what to do with it when people call in other than to say, yes, that's right. They really do need that. But is that the, and that's and that is what they'll do. I am certain I am certain that they will try as best they can to fix that. But is that really enough is my question. Mm-hmm. Is, is it really enough to just say, OK, well, we need to fix the offensive line. OK, done. All set. And now they're a real team. I, I don't know that it is. And that's where I sort of want to move in another direction when I hear that, because I just I agree with it. It's you know, it's it's almost like, well, they need to you know run the ball. Well, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Right. OK. Like. Agree. There's nowhere else I could take that. So uh, let me go to Sam here in Fresno. What's up, Sam? 
Hey, what's up? From California, longtime Vikings fan, heartbroken again. And the, the fact that the Eagles did us in hurts even more. But uh, I want to talk, you know, you brought up a good point about the offensive line. I mean, sure, we need work on the offensive line. But when you have talent like the wide receivers that we have, like the running back that we have, we should have figured out, like the tight end that we had, we should have figured out a way to get the ball to those people, even if our offensive line is crappy. So I don't know if I can put the finger on the offensive line and say, guys, fix, fix the offensive line and problem solved, Super Bowl next year. I, I'm really glad. Point. I'm really glad, Sam. Thanks for the call, man. Enjoy the not Minnesota weather you're having right now. <laughs> oh, it's sunny over here in Fresno. It's a little cold, but the sun is out. Oh, yeah, it's well, cold. It was like we, 60 we degrees. Feel, we feel for you, Sam. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for the call, man. 45 degrees. Okay, it's a little chilly. Yeah. A little chilly. Thank, thanks uh, for the call, Sam. Appreciate one it. One more thing. One more oh, thing. Oh, sure. Go the ahead. Officials. The officials. Someone has to go after these officials because, yeah, I'm not making excuses, but every time we have a little bit of momentum... One of the officials does something and, like, takes our knees out. Yeah, I thought that uh, yesterday, thanks, thanks, Sam. Um, I thought that yesterday there was, like, a makeup call on top of a makeup call yeah. on top of a makeup officials call. Officials were trying to help the Vikings, I, it felt, there in the second in half. In the second on half. That, uh, the drive that made the game 13-10. to 10. Right, but then they got, you know, I thought it all was equal and no one was happy. But I think that Sam really put my frustration with the offensive line conversation better than I did. That the point is just... When you have all the talent around Kirk Cousins to just say, well, it was the line it is is sort of on, only a, yeah, only addressing a small percentage of what the actual issues were. And I don't know that that means that that's the full fix. I think that there's probably a lot more to it. OK, I want to get I want to get to this, though. Laquan Treadwell. And there's even more than I thought there was. Because of a piece just published by the Pioneer Press. I'll start with that, in which Laquan Treadwell tells the Pioneer Press, I know I'm a number one wide receiver and says he has the ability to catch 100 passes in the NFL. This is real. This is, this is, this and, is real life. And he also said this. I wouldn't say it was ups and downs. I mean, uh, you know, I had a couple of drops, but overall I had a great year. You know, this team had a great year. I played my role and I did what I needed to do to help the team win. Overall, I had a great year. Couple and this of drops. Team had a great year. Laquan Treadwell <laughs> had 35 catches for 302 yards. That is 5.7 yards per target and 8.6 yards per reception. That's a career high. He's looking at it on his own sample size, man. He had a, he had his first touchdown. It finally came. 8.6 yards per reception is a number for a running back. Yes. By the way, and. I looked this up. In his three years, the quarterback rating when you're throwing to Laquan Treadwell is 66. Of course, that's well over 100 when throwing to Stephon Diggs or Adam Thielen. Can you play that again, Manny? I wouldn't say it was ups and downs. You wouldn't I mean, say it was uh, ups and downs. You know, I had a couple of drops, but overall, I had a great year. You know, I mean, he cost them that game in Green year. Bay. Overall, I, I had a great year. To help the team win. Uh, season high in receiving 47 yards came against the Los Angeles Rams on four of seven targets. I think there was a block mixed in. So I was, as I was reading this earlier, and I'm really glad you found that, Manny, uh, or Jonathan, whichever one of you. Um, same guy, basically. Uh, we work in lockstep. We're, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Sound the same you're like Zimmer and Spielman. You work in lockstep. Just <laughs> 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 work together on everything. Uh, so I, I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of when Steve Harvey accidentally 
said the wrong Miss Universe winner, and then this happened. The first runner-up is Columbia. It is my mistake. Still a great night. Please don't hold it against the ladies. Please don't Please hold it don't. against the ladies. We Please don't hold it against the ladies. But it's still a great night. That's still it's... a great night. Lack Laquan Dreadwell. There. Laquan Dreadwell. Still a great year. Still a great night. I wouldn't night. say it was ups and downs. I mean, wouldn't say uh, it was ups and downs. I had a couple drops, but overall, I had a great year. I, I mean, tone deaf is like not even close. It's delusional. Delusional is might it might not even be strong enough. So I was thinking about this. Uh, like, was there ever a game where he had a great night? And I was looking through his game log, and uh, in week one, he had two catches on four targets for eighteen yards. The first runner up. It's Columbia. It is my mistake. Still a great Still a night. great night. Still a great night. Two two catches uh against Green Bay, two catches on six targets. Did catch a touchdown, four of which were dropped, but also had one go through his hands for interception. The first runner up <laughs> is Columbia. Still a great night. Still a great, Still a great night. night. Still a great night. Uh against the New York Jets, three catches on three targets. That's a 100% completion percentage for 11 yards. For the first runner-up is Columbia. It is my mistake. It's still a great still night. A great night. Um, against Chicago, the first time, one catch on three targets for seven yards. The second time, one catch on two targets for seven yards. The first runner-up is Columbia. Still it a great is my night. mistake. Still a great night. You know, he got benched against the uh, Lions, and that was not a great night. Um it's actually a better night for the offense because they didn't have him out there just running around and getting open and, and not doing anything. I mean, this this is um, like even when he had sort of shown a little potential, and I mean like only the smallest amount. Hey, it was, it was a good month of OTAs that he looked like a great red zone and, target. And, and that's what I mean is that some of this was like mildly, ever so slightly believable when Cousins was saying, oh, you know, I'm finding him a lot and Treadwell is, I'm learning those routes now and I've got it. And But to now have a 35-catch season following a 20-catch season for a first-round pick who doesn't even like play with efficiency. It isn't even that like... Okay, they don't throw it to him a lot, but it's good when he, they throw it to him. It's not even that. It's not even close. To say that he had a great season and to say that he's capable of catching 100 passes, like what, on a 1,000 targets? I mean, that would what be... What is with this team? That would be the mathematical... I think that, I think that you'd have to, given he's 30, 35 of 53 this year. Like receptions there, on targets. and Is there a gas leak? At TCO Performance Center with some of this cluelessness from the Cousins tone and from deafness. Do you think that maybe Cousins is rubbing off on <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I Spending think the, too much time together. So the, the bigger picture here, though, is Laquan Treadwell is not on this team next year. No. Right? I mean, the fifth-year option comes up. He has to, they have to decide in March. I say by May. First day, I think, is March. There's some day in March that you, the window opens up, and I think that will be within 15 seconds of the window opening up. They'll be like, nope, sorry, Laquan. But I mean, even even still, take the dead money yeah. and go run, run as far as you can because that's the only chance. I mean, Rick Spielman couldn't do it last year because of cap restrictions, and you don't want five million dead money. And you know, John D. Filippo thought he could get a little bit more out of Laquan Treadwell, but this is also the same dude who said, <laughs> "I kid you not." I mean, after. Stefanski got the job as the interim offensive coordinator, Laquan 
publicly said, yeah, I think I'm going to get more targets now. <laughs> I have the change in offensive coordinator. And, and okay. Then and then, and then, then he's benched. benched two games later. Like, how how does this happen? Like, how does he keep getting on the, the wrong end of, of every of everything? I mean, in a way, it's sad because if you're him, you think that you've got that potential when you're a first-round pick. And you probably look around and try to figure out why this hasn't worked. Okay, I ran more stadium steps and the coach yelled at me about that at the combine. And okay, like I'm getting my snap count up, but I'm dropping passes. But I won't always drop passes. And we saw him at one point. I'm not making this up. Laying on the ground. Doing stop, drop, and roll. At TCO Performance Center, catching passes from the machine. And it's just that's like, That's technique. I mean, you could honestly, like, you could be down. I'm sure there's some rule that this would work around. I mean, he's just trying to be resourceful. Fake an injury, lay down. Like, Kirk, over here. <laughs> there was a guy who got hurt once for the Jets. Do you remember this, Manny? The guy got hurt for the Jets on a play and fell down. Like, he pulled a hammy, and then he, like, stood up like, ah, my hammy. And the quarterback threw him the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Because <laughs> only the Jets would have that happen. Of course. Uh, the, uh, the, one of the few teams that Vikings fans can look at and go, okay, well, at least we're not them. Uh, so I think the Treadwell era is all but over. And it's another offseason question, though, Courtney. Wouldn't you say? I mean, it's, it's another thing that we're going to be asking is, how do they put more weapons around this guy? Uh, because Kendall Wright was your answer to last year, and they cut him. I mean, it can't just be two wide receivers. Aldrick Robinson is a great guy, and he caught a couple deep balls for touchdowns, but that's not like a true number three wide receiver. I mean, the fact that Dalvin Cook was not involved nearly enough in the passing game this year I think is a discrepancy that they're going to have to look at in order to move on because he is such a dynamic playmaker that 20, 25 touches a game – between the passing and running game. That has to continue. I mean, I want to see more of kind of like diverting from the mean there and try to, you know, even that out because he doesn't need to just be in the backfield catching passes. Line him up in the slot. There's so much you can do with a guy like Dalvin Cook where he's dynamic that he can truly become your number three receiver because you're giving him a different role. I mean, we saw so much of it in OTAs. Remember when he was like lined up, he was split out wide and like Latavius was in the backfield and, you know, he's, you know, they're basically running what Atlanta did on their way to the Super Bowl two years ago. I mean, why did that never happen? Outside of the fact that he was hurt. I really don't line, know. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't want to hear it. But when he got healthy, when he got back, they still didn't use him. And that's what stressed me out and, about it. And we saw it in training camp where they would line him up as a wide receiver all the time. And they just wouldn't wouldn't do that very often during the season. When they did, they had success. But as far as going forward, you have to find a way to get another competent wide receiver because Treadwell was just a body out there for two straight years. And somehow they worked around it in 2017, but did not uh, so much in 2018 to the point where Chad Beebe who was an undrafted guy that got three catches in a game, and then they (laughs) throw him out there instead of your first-round pick. So I think that that run is completely over. Let's take one more call here. Let's go to Matt in New York. What's up, Matt? Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, sure thing. What's up? Well, I'm totally unsurprised by yesterday. I mean, we've watched this team choke throughout the years, so... But if it was up to me, I think Spielman would be out the door, but I don't. obviously that's not going to happen. So I'm looking forward to 2019 at this point. Um, 
got a list of players that I think should go or take a pay cut, one or the other. Um, Barr is a free agent. I really don't think he should come back. I think Rhodes is tradable at this point. I mean, he sits out, misses, misses time every game, you know, that's setting the team back. Rudolph, I think pay cut or cap casualty. Remmers, not the same situation. Reef, mm, I don't know. Sendejo, I think got to go. I think Griffin's either a pay cut or a cap casualty. And Treadwell, I mean, you guys have talked about that. I think that just got to end. So thanks for taking my call, though. Have a great New Year's. Yeah, sure Thank thing. You. I appreciate it, Matt. Um, there's a, there's a few interesting ones in there. Uh, let's talk about Anthony Barr quick when we come back. And I want to finish with Manny's list because he worked on this before the show. And we, we didn't get to it because we got a lot of great calls, so I appreciate it. But we, I want to look through some of the more disappointing seasons in Vikings history and how this compares. Like, Where do we rank it? As, as we put sort of the final bow on 2018, as weird as it was, as always, um, how where where does it sit? So we'll talk about that next. And the, and the Anthony Barr conversation is very interesting. We'll take a quick break. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, in for Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick update on traffic. Uh, We still, of course, have that road closing. uh, 35 southbound near Lakeville with that uh, that crash down there, and it's still about a 45-minute delay. So uh, good luck to Jonathan Harrison getting home tonight. Use your phone. Figure out a way. There's got to be another way. I would think so, yeah. That's that's what I do whenever I am in trouble. I just pull out the phone, type in my home address, and see if it can figure out a different way. So best of luck to all of you trying to work around that on this evening. Uh, let's get in a phone call here that I want to ask Courtney about Anthony Barr, and then we'll finish it up in the most appropriate way possible. Um, what is up, Darcy? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, just taking my time in traffic. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Everybody else do the same. Uh, if you have enough life experience, where does this season rank in disappointments? Um, having been a, a younger guy, but for a Super Bowl team in 1969, we got the Purple People Eaters. And then our quarterback kind of decides he's not going to sign, so we have no quarterback. So then you have three quarterbacks, and you know when you have three, you have none. Yes. <laughs> so after 1971, we bring Sir Francis Tarkington back. Mm-hmm. We are on our way to the Super Bowl, baby. Seven and seven. Uh, this was, and I think, one of the tops on Manny's list, wasn't this it? Was, Manny? This was the one that this was one of the five that I have on the list. Yeah. There you go, Manny. I knew Manny would have it. Oh yeah. Now let me ask you a quick question, Darcy. Uh, sure. Would you would you be more upset about a kicker missing at the end? Let's just say hypothetically that would never happen. But um, <laughs> at the, to, to end a season, a kicker shanking one. Or a season you went into thinking your team should win 10, 12 games, depending on whether it's the 70s or now, um, and, and having it come up short. Like, which one of those is more gut-wrenching for you? Well, more, if you're just using gut-wrenching, the, kitch, the kicker missing one, you know, having never missed one the whole year, let's say that possible scenario happens. Not possible, sorry. Not possible, but, you know, <laughs> that's the gut-wrenching part. Disappointing is what just happened because there was any number of scenarios played a part in the first, you know, 15 games where we don't have to win this game. 
Yeah. No, yeah, you're you're right, man. And and that's uh, I guess you're right. It is probably two different feelings for a lot of people that yeah. uh in, instead of feeling like you got kicked in the stomach, it's more of just like a like a frustrated numbness or something that, that they There you go. Yeah. All right. That's that's, that's what it is. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say this, Darcy, that having grown up in Buffalo and spent 28 years of my life there, um, I, I only saw a shred of success and all sorts of irrelevance for years and years and years, most of my, like, teenager to adult life. Like, yep. all these things happened in my life, like getting married and moving and all these things before the team even went to the playoffs. So the one thing I would say uh, to Vikings fans is just, it's better than that to lose on the last day and miss the playoffs or to shank a kick than it is to go seven and nine, six and ten, five and eleven for a decade. So it could be slightly worse. <laughs> Couldn't agree more because uh all those Timberwolves fans are all disgruntled with the uh you know, make the playoffs out in the first round, make the playoffs out in the first round. Well, for fifteen years you would have taken that, right? Yeah. That's right. Darcy, thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Drive safe. All right, Manny, so he took one off your list. Let's mm-hmm. wrap this up over the last five minutes, trying to figure out where this ranks, this 2018 and the most disappointing Vikings seasons you had, 1972, and yep. then what else? I also had uh, 2013. This was a 5-10-1 season uh, after going 10-6 and six the year before. Adrian Peterson won the MVP in 2012, ran for 2,000 yards, or almost 2,100 yards, and I think there was some, some some a level of optimism going into 2013, and everything just everything just went to crap. I mean, Peterson just wasn't as good, and Ponder showed his true colors. He was just awful, and then it just was kind of a rotating between him and Matt Castle, and it was it was just bad. And Leslie Frazier got fired. Uh, what was their final record? Five, ten, and one. That one time oh, was yeah. at okay. Lambeau Five, that ten, year as well. Yeah, you said, right. Wow. <laughs> that was a Seneca Wallace, Scott Tolzien Packers team. That they That's worse, with. right? Yeah. That's worse than this. Five, ten, and one. Yeah. Would you agree? Yes. 2013, yep. people get fired. That's worse. Okay, I'll put that ahead of this. Uh, 2016, you guys are both very aware of that one. 5-0 and start, finished 8-8, eight and eight, and the offensive line was just a complete disaster and i mean we kind of know the whole story with that one just being two years ago 2016 is hard to compare to this i think this think? i think this is worse the, i think this is worse too i mean it, but you teddy. lost teddy yeah that, i mean mm-hmm. that yep. that derailed your franchise's hopes that, that puts you in this position the only thing i would say is that there were some signs in 2016 that the five and zero start was a little bit fugazi because, like, beat the Panthers, the, they yeah, punt Pittsburgh, returns for touchdowns yeah. and stuff. But Houston felt pretty legit that year, and they ran them out of the building right before going into the um, the break there. And even though the offensive line wasn't good, we thought, boy, this defense is unreal. Mm-hmm. Bradford's playing great. They figured out ways to just help him out and. Boy, if this team even goes 500 the rest of the way, they're one of the best teams in the league. And then that completely fell apart from 5-0. and This almost never got off the ground. I mean, this was just spinning your wheels, spinning your wheels all season long. They start off, what, 1-2-1? and I mean, just like, okay, I mean, is this team ever good? By week four, I think we all decided, like, this is, there are too many problems here to be a great team. With 2016, 5-0, and you feel like, man, they could keep Super rolling. Boy, yeah. And they were going to Philly... With a chance to go six and zero oh before, like 
even before you blink with the season. And we were having this conversation of like, when will they lose? Could they get to 10 and 0? I mean, it just, and to have it collapse the way it did, I think the Teddy thing makes it worse that it, for, yeah. for Vikings fans to get hit hard, this was bad, but to lose Teddy where most people viewed him as their franchise quarterback, that made that worse. So I will put this behind it for that reason. Okay, that's fair. Uh, 2003, the team started out 6-0, and then their first loss of the season was to an awful <laughs> Giants team, and uh, that was when Red McCombs went into the locker room and flipped out on the team or whatever, and then they ended up losing to the Cardinals on a Hail Mary at the end to uh, Nate Poole and finishing 9-7. and By Josh McCown, my Josh favorite player McCown. of all time. Yep. That's worse. That's worse than this. Probably. Josh McCown? At least they lost to the Bears. That was Pete, that was the call. The um that was where the last push off, like the last uh, what was the rule with the receiver where getting if you were if if, if, getting, it, if you were going to come down in bounds but you yes. were pushed out, they still call it that, good. That yeah. was I remember watching that play and um that was like thinking, okay, that's why the rule exists now. Um The I'll, Vikings that year, by the way, lost to the four worst teams in football. Wow, really? That's the way Cardinals, worse. Four, okay, four that's teams worse. that all finished four and twelve: the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Raiders, and the that's, uh, Giants. That's they worse. all finished four and twelve. And the Vikings and, lost all of them. And that was the year too. If you want to talk about how hilarious momentum is to talk about, that was the year too. They beat the Broncos. They got sort of behind early, and then Randy Moss flipped it behind oh, yeah, his flipped head. It to Mo and then they yep. murder the Broncos after that. After that game. I'm sure Vikings fans had to be thinking like Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They can't stop us. Moss is doing crazy stuff. He's throwing the ball behind his head to people. Like mm-hmm. we can't lose. And then they fall apart. Is there any like Dante Culpepper, Kirk Cousins comparison? Just like lots of yards, can't really get it done. Uh, well, Dante, Culpepper better. Dante that year, I remember he missed a couple of games because he had like a fractured bone in his oh, back. Oh yeah, Farrat, and, right? And Farrat came yeah. in. Farrat actually started. Because there were that was the big year of the Moss versus T.O. debate. Like, oh, who's better? Sure, sure, sure. And the 49ers came in, and Gus Farratt and Randy Moss just lit him up and that whole thing. So As Gus Farratt occasionally did in his Vikings career, which is one thing that makes him great. Um, last, last one. Last one. Last one. 2010, what? the second year under Brett Favre. You didn't put 84 in there? Those are worst records since the merger? Well, but we're talking about most disappointing seasons, right? That was awful! That's, but that's where you have expectations. Yeah, there were expectations. Like, I mean, okay, that's fine. I went, I'm sorry, I flipped out. Let me hear your... I, I'd like to hear like, a replay of that noise you made. Let me, let, I want to hear a replay. <laughs> if you want to hear a replay of that, I want to hear a replay of your flip out. Okay, um, yeah, me slapping the glass was pretty good. Uh, 2010, okay, that's fine. They had all that yeah. expectation. That was, it wasn't Brett Favre that's like jerking them around too. Just like, I'm coming to camp, I'm not coming to camp, I'm coming to camp, I'm not coming to camp. Did you just... Like, flipping it, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> New Year's Eve, give me a break. <laughs> Dragging them well, along. What, what did he do? Well, <laughs> I hate you. Um, 2010 was the that's year. That's when they well, sent the plane down. Weren't there like players like who like weren't there for camp and they were like had no, to explain? No, we know what you mean. Like, yeah, we they, know. We Brett, know what Brad Childress at. was fired after a three and seven start. Yes. They got blown out by the Packers, and they were chanting "Fire Childress" in the Metrodome. And, and uh, we know what you Metrodome, mean by the off-season drama that, the, the, that the, led to that. The Metrodome <laughs> roof collapsed, and they had to play a home game in Detroit against the Giants. I mean, all that's way worse. It's way. And, it's and, way worse. Yeah. The the Coming, last the last bullet point I had there. I'm just not gonna. Go there. You know, with, <laughs> something but. something else happened. A photograph and yeah. 
<laughs> Thanks, Courtney. I didn't it's, mean it uh, like that. You guys set me up he, for failure. He was um, he was toying with uh, the Vikings in the offseason, yes. That's the right word. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, but they really uh, shriveled in the big situations in that season. And uh, okay, let's uh, let's wrap that up. And <laughs> that's a, that's the way to end it. Okay, thanks everyone for listening. <laughs>